This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. At a very momentous time, in a, in a momentous season, and what we're seeing is a home brew of American radicalism, extremism, uh, a type of nihilism. Uh, for sure, Ron DeSantis of Harvard University understands completely uh, the efficacy of these life-saving vaccines, uh, but he has gambled. And his gamble is that it is expeditious for him to climb the ladder of power in the Republican Party to position himself as an heir to Trump uh, to be uh, with regard to COVID, with regard to the mass mandates to cater to an extreme and intense base that he views will be determinative in the next Republican primary process. Now, Saudi Arabia is a good example of how to think about this. You, you have the king. The king is Trump. Uh, my view is that Trump will certainly be the Republican nominee in 2024, but he won't be around forever. So when you look at Abbott in Texas, when you look at DeSantis in Florida, when you look at Nome in South Dakota, when you look at others, what you see now is a battle amongst the crown princes and princesses for control of the MAGA empire. And the things that they're doing to get to the top very sadly demonstrate a profound callousness towards life, uh, towards any sense of public responsibility, and it all accumulates into what we're seeing right now, literally in the history of the country. Uh, you've never seen people, no matter how corrupt they are, uh, charged with actual life and death responsibility, abdicate that responsibility for their selfish political interest. And so we're in this bidding war right now to see how extreme it can get. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. You're going to sing to swim, you're going to learn the truth. No matter what you do, you're going to learn the truth. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. You just don't give up, just don't give up. And now, Janice Graham.
again, good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. We uh, thank you for joining us, and for those of you who are listening by uh, some kind of device, but you would like to join in the discussion in our chat room, it is open, and you can join us at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking about the damage of Trumpism in America and against the democracy that we seek. Compromise and capitulation. And that is what we are seeing in the people who make the policies and the laws which govern this nation. That is what we see in the courts who make these interpretive decisions about those laws and regulations. And that is what we are seeing in this major legislative takeover fed by white nationalism and white supremacy in this country all over the land. And joining us in this conversation will be Dr. James L. Taylor, who is the chair of the Department of political science at the University of San Francisco. You know him. He has been with us many times. And I felt that we needed to get in conversation with him on these matters. Um, this This is where I am coming from and what I think we need to have a polysense discussion. There is no doubt that political fires are raging all through this country, that there is a robust campaign of GOP gaslighting in the face of a Democratic Party which continues to clamor for cooperation and bipartisanship. The the Democratic Party for which overwhelmingly voted for a Biden administration, waiting for many deliberals promised. And I think in many ways they are waiting without hope. The pandemic continues to claim our citizens. The Voting Rights Act of 1963 has become a useless relic of days gone by failing to protect disenfranchised people, the vulnerable populations for for which it was designed. Now, we all saw in the fury of the campaign prior to the election last November, promises of many 
from the infrastructure bill to the George Floyd Act and the glimmering of an increasingly political bias Supreme Court, the foundation of democracy rumbles and the people who sit and hope continue to be dumbfounded by what is happening in our Congress and coming out of the White House. Without full accountability and with a great deal of partisan denial, we seem to have forgotten in some corners of this country that there was an armed violent attack on the Capitol and government officials, that seems to be fading into the background of of relevancy. Americans received checks of uh, $1,400, and maybe that was that that was the payout for silence to tolerate the near failure of our government to address, resolve, or fix the myriad ills of social justice, government, corruption, climate change, and access to affordable health care and housing. I don't know if Americans are being conned by a full-fledged game of compromise and capitulation, but I know that the compromise and capitulation has become a stone wall in doing what this nation needs to do and what we were promised by a Democratic Party. I think all of you remember that the Democrats sold Black America playlists that contains only one tune, and that is we are all trying to get along and the minority party playing the bass while the majority party are simply the background singers. The Democrats are playing from one playlist and the Republicans another. And it occurred to me this week that the band should be called Harry Potter and the Stormtroopers. And I hope that along with Dr. Taylor that we can get into that discussion. What I'm asking for people to do in our chat room is to send us some questions that you have, to make some comments that you have on the state of political play in, in, in this country and to the extent that you believe that uh, we are being played. Um, I don't often... Um, give way to people who I think have been uh, political impediments. 
And many of you will remember that Steve Schmidt, who we led off with in our opening tonight, was a diehard Republican and the campaign manager for John McCain when he ran against the former president, or however however they do it, the former president, Barack Obama. He is now a director of the Lincoln Project. Uh, Republicans who have come to understand, who plead with us to understand that what ha- the damage is done in the four years of the Trump administration was not part of their agenda. It is hard to believe that um, there are some people who are in, who are part of the Republican Party who recognize the damage that occurred during the four years of the Trump administration and continues to occur. Uh, and, and some of these issues are mainstream issues. They are part of our existence as um, I would say the dual existence that black people have to journey through but they are mainstream. They affect all Americans. And they are simply, um, they're simply very, very um, important, especially to black people, to get from our government what we need to get from our government so that we can become a self-determining people. And right now, we are not. And I hope that people recognize that over the last, the four years of a Trump administration, the erosion of many of the major progress, progressive (coughs) undertakings that black people have been able to achieve in this country uh, were either destroyed or are now corroded to the extent that they are not particularly useful or functioning. I, I take back that word useful. So we want to talk about these things here at our Common Ground tonight. And I am still struggling I'm still struggling with uh, whatever condition my condition is in around this coughing, and I apologize. (coughs) We're waiting for Dr. 
Taylor to to join us. I he's a very busy man lately because he's not only teaching, running an apartment, but he is also working level. So um, <coughs> I am so sorry. I apologize. I really do apologize. But let me go over some housekeeping kind of things while we're waiting for Dr. Taylor. I want to remind you, and I will continue to remind you, that we are still in a pandemic and that you should be careful. (coughs) And that you should... Be safe for you and your family for us to get on the other side of this. So just be really, really careful. Uh, Continue to um, take the precautions that you need to take. (coughs) I'm going to take a break. Um, I've got to I've got to clear this, but <coughs> we're gonna take a, a really good break, and we'll be right back.
thank you for being so patient with us here tonight. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I've been dealing with this problem for a couple of months now. And uh, I am told that it'll go away, it'll whatever it'll do, blah, blah, blah. But I never know when it's going to hit me. And um, so we'll just try to push on as we always do. Um, and, you know, is life, whatever. Um I had um, in the chat room, um, hard worker 485 is indicating that um, he was going to, that he's thinking that Dr. Taylor ought to do the heavy lifting tonight. That is one of the reasons why I was glad to have him uh, join us tonight. But it seems like, I don't know, sometimes Dr. Taylor gets the time because uh, he's on the West Coast and I'm on the, where am I? I'm, I'm not even on the coast. I'm in a Florida stand. Uh, but I did want to bring to your attention um, that Alpha continues to recover. And, of course, we are wishing for him and, cheerleading for him all the best uh, in his struggle to recover. Um, and he feels satisfied about the, um, the recovery that he's being able to make. He still has not seen a path back to the microphone, but we're hoping um we're hoping that he um, continues uh, in his progress in recovery. And we're shouting out to him tonight, hey, Alpha, I miss you. I miss you a whole lot. Um, and don't forget that we need your support on truth, the TruthWorks project that we're doing, If America Fails which the sneak preview to the discussion on the book and the Hulu TV series will be on October 14th at 8 p.m., and we hope that you will join us. It will be my foray into broadcasting on YouTube. (laughs) Michelle talked me into it. Or she beat me into it. I don't know which one. (laughs) But we will be broadcasting live on YouTube from TruthWorks Network. And that's October 14th at 8 p.m. And we'll talk, give you some more information about that during this broadcast. Also, we had a loss in our community this week. Uh, you may not um, know, but we lost Melvin Van Peebles. He was... Um, um, a significant icon in 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 my lifetime. Um, he died on last week. He was an American actor, filmmaker. I I even think of Melvin Van Peebles as 
um, as the godfather of modern black cinema. Um, you know, he, he he's noted for for introducing new kinds of genre in black filmmaking and theater. Uh, many of you will probably remember the, fi- the the film for which he is notable, most notable. And it's Sweet, Sweet Back's Bad-Ass Song. How many of you out there remember that? Um, And one of his Broadway plays that I particularly enjoyed in uh, the 19, around 2000, 2001, was um, Don't Play Me Cheap. Don't play, don't play us cheap, which got an the Tony Award. So uh, you know when we lose these iconic figures, you often wonder who is there. Many of them are not replaceable, but who is there to um, continue to break ground? in those areas of endeavor. And uh, I I must say that Melvin Van Peebles was uh, a wonderful mentor in the arts to um, to his son, Mario Van Peebles. Our number is 347-838-9852. And if you have any comments, any notations about the more than 20,000 Haitian refugees who were gathered, uh, who were living in Colombia, and 12,000 about 12,000 of them ended up at Del Rio at the Texas border. Uh, it seems about uh, within the same, within a span of three days. Uh, it was an interesting event. And we are told by the major news media that they are not there anymore. And I'd like your thoughts at 347-838-9852 about that turn of events. Uh, those of you who subscribe to our show information received a an email from me on Thursday night, and it was a piece that I remembered that was written by our Common Ground voice and co-host of This Is Revolution about why Haiti is important. And I, I hope you read it because there are a lot. Of, you know, sometimes 
um, we don't get to understanding our history in the context of current events. And I always say that history matters. Many of you have received communications from me or seen me posting online, and I use both hashtag trust your struggle and the other is black history matters. And if you saw the images of cowboys going wild on horseback who were U.S. Marshals, Border Patrol Marshals, running down Haitian refugees, if you saw the Secretary of Homeland Security, who seemed to be saying that we were we are denying those refugees the same legal protections and rights that other refugees. Uh, are extended. If you seem to understand, you know, one of the things I don't understand is how you process 12,000 people for deportation and removal in two days. Twelve thousand. That's that's just multiply. That's twelve thousand times four pieces of paper with people who had nothing but their children and 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 things necessary for them to survive in the trek from Chile, Colombia and Mexico to the US border. Something's not right, and my history my my recall is that every time that there is something that has to do with Haitian people, no matter the reason seeking refuge in the United States, that doesn't work out so good for them. And you got to look at the political point of view. So while we're waiting for um, Dr. Taylor to show up, um, I want to talk about this with you. But let's let's take a look at this uh, clip. They could listen to this. A call to Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, a bill that bans chokeholds, some no-knock warrants, and prohibits racial and religious profiling. But Republican lawmakers in 34 states introduced 81 anti-protest bills since George Floyd's death. That well, there is a lot of outrage. People are saying that this is cruel, the way that the United States is treating Haitian migrants. Um, I talked to one activist, his name is Alex Del Cimet. He's a councilman in North Miami, Florida, and he's also the chairman of the National Haitian American Elected Officials Network. Here's what he had to say. 
they need to find a solution for those who are trying to get here to treat them fairly. We don't know what's the difference between this administration and the previous administration. So this is not what I think anyone has signed up for. He also said that President Biden's silence on this speaks volumes. And I pushed the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, on this specific issue on President Biden not speaking out. Here's what she said. Why is he not using that bully pulpit to speak out forcefully himself on the treatment of patients? His point of view is also reflected in the actions that have been taken through the administration, including the investigation, including the change in policy. Uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security oversees these efforts um, and has been quite outspoken and quite visible on what steps we should take moving forward. And he certainly may still speak to it. You see, they're, they're, passing, the, they're passing the ball. It's the homeland uh, security, it's immigration, it's health and human services, it's the CDC, it's the everybody except the man who asked for our votes because he was going to be different, because he was going to uphold, highlight, and claim the issue of injustice in this country. Our number is 347-838-9852. I had prepared that clip uh, to also talk about what's missing from this administration, from, from this Congress. The George Floyd Justice Act the Voter Rights Restoration Act. And I, I realize, you know, I'm 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 not trying to trying to be that that person. And I realize that this president has so much more to contend with in the midst of a pandemic where people continue to die, but the mad, crazy people politics are getting in the way. He's trying to save lives, and the people are saying, I don't want my life saved. Oh, no. I want to go in the ICU and realize. I mean, I read a report, I think it was in the Boston Globe on Friday, where a woman was talking with her health care provider, her nurse or physician assistant, in the ICU about to get intubated for COVID-19 Delta variant illness, and she was saying that she didn't want the treatment because COVID was not real. What, you know, I have to ask the, the question I always ask, where the hell do these people come from? Who are these people? Somebody please call me at 347-838-9852 and tell me who are these people? Who are these people who, who you, you see, the thing is that these are not... The rich people, they're funding them. 
But it's not the rich people who are dying. It's not the one percenters. It's poor people who have fallen into the trap of the propaganda machine in this country. And they are dying and losing, they're they're, they're dying and losing out to what the government should be doing for them. Because what? Come on, I'm listening. Because what? Okay, y'all, 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 can you say it? Can you say it? Because white supremacy in their lives rain. It rains. Now, I've sent a, um, an email. I don't think I'm going to be able to last by myself without Dr. Taylor because I can feel my throat closing up on me. But I want somebody to call me and Tell me why we should tolerate the kind of compromising and capitulation that is good. By the word, that's the by the way, that's the word of the week: capitulation. Why we should tolerate them as citizens? Because they are getting in the way. I mean, have you all looked at this infrastructure plan? I mean, there's a lot of work that we have to do in the implementation, just as there was in all of the millions of the trillion the trillion dollars that was spent on pandemic relief that never got to the right people, that never got to the right businesses. Um, I I read a story the other day that in Jupiter, Florida, the city manager had decided to use the pandemic money to upgrade the golf course in Jupiter. And I had to ask the question, I mean, some of you might have seen, I had to ask the question, is that even illegal that he's going to use COVID money to upgrade and expand a golf course? Those are the particulars, those are the mechanics that we have to place in the um into the the politics from our community. But there are some mainstream things, and that is that if you, and, and I really encourage you to go find, um, go find a, a summary of the particulars in the infrastructure plan. Because, in the infrastructure bill. Um, Then last weekend, what happened? We had 
The name of the bill is Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And I'm trying to think of some of the provisions that are important. Well, first of all, it directs the Department of Transportation to establish pilot programs to demonstrate national motor vehicle user fees, blah, 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 and good repair in surface transportation system. I know the people in Boston are real happy to hear that because have you ever floated through one of the um, potholes in a northern city uh, or where the weather is very cold? So another is it extends the federal highway transit and safety programs, which, um, you know, it reauthorizes the 2023-26 highway program for transit programs, making the trains and buses more safe in um, in cities and 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 cheaper as well, so you know it um they can't get it through they can't get it through the Senate then here we have the other problem is that the George Floyd bill. And the negotiations in the Senate between the Democrats, um, which was led by Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, and for the Republicans, Senator Tim Scott, and that all went to hell in a handbasket on Wednesday and fell apart, and primarily because the Republicans are defining, distorting the, the 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 concept of defunding the police. What what that that's what Tim Scott is coming out and saying that the Republicans couldn't buy into defunding the police. So a number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And I'd like to hear from you uh, <clears throat> because I'm about to fall apart again. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls or we'll talk to Dr. Taylor, one of the other. Oh, are you getting the spirit? Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I want to know why I'm fine one minute and the next. My body aches so bad I can't move. I want to know why my hair is falling out. I'm only 17. I'm tired all the time. Now, this rash. I just want to know what's going on. When you don't have the right answers, it may be time to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov or call 1-800-994-9662. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it. I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. Wear the red dress. Wear the wings. Shut your mouth. Be a good girl. Roll over and spread your legs. Yes, ma'am. May the Lord open. Seriously? What the actual... with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists build militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, 
either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. If America fails, the coming tyranny. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. TruthWorks Network, sneak preview, October 14th, live, 8 p.m. The truth must be spoken more than once. If America fails, TruthWorks Network, October 14th, 8 p.m. If America fails, the coming tyranny. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Janice Graham. Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Common Ground with Janice Graham. And now back to Janice. And we 
thank you for being here with us at Our Common Ground. You know, it's really interesting that um, at a time that we should be enjoying the fruits of our struggle, that we're looking to the right and we're looking to the left, and and these people are determined to ensure that we do not, we cannot. And my question is, if white people are waking up, what 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 should we be doing? And I am I am so certain that it is so important for people to understand the nature of a failed state and living in one. I mean, I get more email from people asking about their uh, make commenting. I would leave, but there's no place to go. I would uh, give it up but I don't know what my options are. These are black people who are saying, where the hell, what the hell? Uh, let's, let's take a look. Uh, I, I want to share this, uh, these comments, some more comments by Steve Schmidt. This man was the powerhouse of the Republican Party at one time. Well, the Democratic Party is the majority uh, but it is a fragile coalition. And I think it's really important to understand that coalition, which extends from Republicans who've only cast a couple of, of votes who are a small part of it, but determinative in victory, all the way to AOC. And, and what, what, what that coalition has in common is a, is a belief in, in democracy, in, in the dignity of the human being, above the power of the, of the state. That coalition put Nancy Pelosi in the speaker's chair in 2018. It fell apart by 2020. It did not hold together below Joe Biden, though it came back briefly together uh, for the two Senate races in, in Georgia. And, and now um, this coalition uh, is being tested, and it will be tested by the type of attacks that Donald Trump is making that are race-based, full of animus, um, that are essentially this. To those white Republicans, those independent voters, Republican men, Republican women, what they're saying is you may not like Trump, but these people over here, the ones that are trying to indoctrinate your kids with critical race theory, they hate you. Uh, they want to teach your kids to hate you. They want to take your possessions. Uh, they are waging a culture war, right, and they are inciting a passionate minority. The Democratic Party, and we'll get a good look at this in California, um, I, I think is not as intense, not as focused um, as the Republicans are at taking power right now. Uh, it's the more docile of the parties. It's not fierce enough. Uh, it has not done a good job of holding the extremism uh, back 
over the last nine months. So, so this coalition, while larger, is, is more vulnerable, more diverse, more diffuse, more disagreeable than the cult of personality that it's facing. A number of columnists have sort of said in recent days that, you know, Democrats seem worried about offending Republicans and Republicans want to win. And so how do you understand their sort of reluctance to, to for example, to take steps that would forestall these restrictions on voter access, for example? There really, at this point, there's really only one way to do it, and that is through federal legislation. So how do you, how do you understand the Democrats' reluctance to, to address these issues? I don't understand it. This was inevitable. It was predictable. And there's no issue that should make Democrats or any person who loves democracy more furious than this. Um, in response to the lie about the stolen election, there was an actual vote that took place where 147 Republicans voted to nullify and disenfranchise the votes of millions of black Americans on the basis of BS. What followed next was the first filings of legislation. The intent of every piece of legislation is malice. That's because none of it would have ever been filed if Donald Trump had won the election. And every piece is designed to make it more difficult for minorities to vote, but most importantly, to make it more difficult to certify elections when one side factlessly claims fraud. And so this was coming. And the only way to stop it was the repeal of the filibuster. And from the very beginning, the repeal of the filibuster should have been framed by Democratic leaders as a moral necessity and an act of last resort should Republicans dare try to unravel the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Acts of 1964 and 1965 and pull this country back. And so across the, across the broad front of an, un, of an unrelenting series of events, the, the Democratic Party as a whole has done a horrendous job confronting the growing extremism in this country and framing for the American people the terrible place where it, where it all leads. The filibuster is part of that. I'm not a psychologist. Um, what, what I can tell you about politics is, is this, is restraint in the exercise of power is an underappreciated virtue. But the exercise of power at necessary times and times bluntly um, is a prerequisite for effective leadership. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Well, I, I think that what Stephen Schmidt has done as he discusses these issues, that he has been a, that he has framed it, not everything is about Donald Trump, but it is about what Trumpism as a system. Trumpism is a system now. It's a system now. And I think we need to understand that. And it's driven by white nationalism and it's driven by um, it, it's driven by 
and the ideology of white supremacists, which has been formulated by a revised history to fit that ideology. I am. I'm. I'm I really apologize. I don't know what happened with Dr. Taylor. And what I'm going to do is um, con- is uh, um, is to see if it makes more sense um, to rather than to um, torture you with my inability to uh, calm my throat down is to uh, is to um, to try to get you to understand the bottom line here um, that um, it really is not about whether or not we agree it is about about whether or not we can come to some understanding of how these um, things um, converge to each other. So I'm going to play some portion I'm going to close out this broadcast because I can feel myself going into more jagged coughing. And thank you for joining us tonight. And I'm going to play a clip that I think really helps us conform, to to form our understanding of some of this. Listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now it's a winter. Winter in America. Thank you again for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. My co host tonight is Dr. James L. Taylor. And we're going to go to our phones, Dr. Taylor, 646, you're on the air. I respect you in the second hour. Hey, BJ, I respect you. Good to hear you back on the um, telephone, radio, internet, whatever it is. Hey, 
listen. <laughs> it's a broadcast, Jay. <laughs> Good and to have you with us. your voice that's what counts. Hey, listen, we got to realize one thing and learn to accept it and place ourselves in a position to move forward. This is a white man's country with the support and the backing of his white woman. She just proved it. You know, the thing is, everybody talks about how great Hillary Clinton is and how she's this and that. Hillary Clinton is basically, in my opinion, an animal. She's no better than Donald Trump, what she did to Gaddafi, what she's done around the world, what she's done to the Haitian people. And then she has these Negroes who go about helping her out in her destruction of African people, like the Donna Brazils, who now have basically been wiped off the map. You know what I yep. mean? Let's keep it real. They've destroyed, they destroyed have, a lot of people in this. And, and, and the thing is this. She could have, if she really cared about the country honestly, she could have stepped back and said, no, everybody's saying that I can't beat Trump, which was a reality if you understand geopolitics. And, yes, Bernie could have beat Trump because he had the support of the young people. Those people who voted against her would have voted for him rather than voted for her. Instead, they went to Trump. The bottom well, line in all of this is... Let's bring Dr. Dr. Taylor in uh, to respond to some of the content of your your your. Um, yeah, I mean, I, no, I appreciate comments. the brother's passion, and he obviously knows what he's talking about. Um, my, my only concern, again, is I've said I did not support Hillary. Um, I do not support Hillary. <clears throat> As a student of politics, my job is to sort of bring out <clears throat> the issues. Um, so I don't want to be in the position of people thinking I'm here defending Hillary. I, I'm just calling people on their contradictions because even this brother, if he's talking about these things that uh, Hillary has done, most of them were not things that, that she did. She didn't give the order on Gaddafi. That was the president of the United States. She's a, head of, she's a part of his administration. She had no say-so in what uh, she carried out. Her job is to do what her president tells her to do. But nobody's con- condemning Obama. Farrakhan did. Farrakhan put the blame on her, but he also put it on Obama and said that we got a murderer. That's what, those were Farrakhan's words. We got a murderer in the White House when he killed Gaddafi. Um, but, um, again, what I'm trying to say is that most of this stuff is Monday morning quarterbacking. Most of what this brother is saying, he's right, but he's right because we now can look back and say what is and what is not. Like the, like the man you had leading in, the British man uh, that was doing all that cussing and all that hard talk, all of this certainty, all of this confidence, all of this, all of this he knew what he was talking about, how we couldn't imagine, yes, we all should have seen this coming. Everybody's talking that stupidity now. But, nobody, but everybody was shocked on Tuesday night because they knew it wasn't supposed to happen. But now everybody is looking at the Internet, got their arguments together, so now they want to lay them out and tell us what they knew before the election. Yeah. That's just yeah. foolishness, and I have a little patience for it. Let's go to 404. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call with my co-host, Dr. James Taylor. Well, I respect you as well. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, yeah, th- there's a lot to go into with this stuff, and if, if y'all allow, just uh, real quick, I-, I think when we look at this, we're going to get all the, okay, it- it's this or it's that, when it's, you know, it's a whole pie of, of different things. How you split up the pie as far as uh, putting blame, you know, that-, that-, that depends on the person when you start looking at it. 
So racism, sexism, culture war, uh, party mechanics, all of that stuff had, you know, had, had something uh, to do right. with how, this failure, essentially. And when we look at somebody like Hillary, you realize she is your typical liberal. She had her, the, the most defining moment to me of this whole thing was the basket of deplorables. She had the chance to confront white supremacy racism right there and say, okay, this party, we're going to draw the line here and, and secure our base and go after a little bit of the center. They chose to go after the center and act like they were going to pull those white right. voters in. She backed down on the back of the deplorables, uh, deplorables comment. And from then on, uh, it, it was just her recruiting people who would never accept her or never accept the Democratic Party, and, and especially in this culture war race, because that's what right. this was. When that's they were right. debating and she was beating him point for point, it didn't matter to the people who supported him because all they wanted him to do was stand strong and be boisterous. It didn't matter if he had facts. It didn't matter if he was winning right. arguments. All they wanted to see was their guy win the cultural war as far as the debate. So, you know, to see her pick Tim Kaine uh, as the VP, and uh, you, you talked about this on, on this show before, uh, this, this guy had that, that, that program, uh, Project Exile. Uh, this guy was, yes. you know, anti-abortion, like all these different things. Richmond, Virginia. Uh, he, he's writing. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's he's writing op-eds about uh, releasing the banks from, you know, uh, from restriction. So, you know, I'm just watching all this play out, and then I'm seeing people trying to come up with any way to explain this way besides racism. And if they right. can't find something, they'll invent it. Like that's their his, that's their history. And when we look at Hillary, and they keep they keep saying, well, Obama actually brought out X amount of people, and Hillary didn't bring out. Yeah, because Hillary and Obama aren't comparable as right. as politicians. Right. That's right. like comparing JFK and Gerald Ford. Like, right. no, you can't you can't use that as a metric or to say Romney uh, actually had this amount of black voting. Trump got Romney's yeah, a bad it. politician. Like, you don't make that comparison. So, you know, I'm, I'm just watching all of this play out and watch the liberals try to come up with a way to blame black and Latino people yeah. for not showing up instead of confronting white people for what they actually voted for. When you yes, lose, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm trying to look at the numbers here. White women, 51% to Trump, 52%. to 43% to her. Okay, 52, mm-hmm. sorry. And, and then you look at, uh, they talked about, oh, these are uneducated voters. Well, college, grad, college degree, 49% for Trump. These white people had no illusions about what they were voting Thank for you. and who they were voting for. Yes, the only people with illusions are these damn so-called liberals. That's so, right. Yeah. What you, you know, what I'm you're still saying, watching all of this, man. Or, what you're saying <laughs> is essentially is America continues to be racist as water is wet. Yes, Indeed. Ma'am. <laughs> but, Indeed. But I love, I love, I love your analysis, brother. I mean, I, I, I can get off, off, off the air right now and just let you go because you got it, and, and you're hitting on all the right points. Um, I appreciate everything you said. Um, and I think it's important to bring out that black women did try to, you know, there's an there's a article going around saying that black women were the only people who tried to save the world last week by, I know. you know, I, they came out I and supported hit, Hillary. You know, it's really interesting because I got hit real seriously with email and Facebook and Twitter because I said Ida B. Will, that the, 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 the daughters of Ida B. Wells tried to make it right and the daughters of Susan B. Anthony yes, tried ma'am. to burn it down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And 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 that's a conversation I think feminism in America, much like Protestant evangelicalism, lost all credibility last week. Uh, You know, white feminists, a white woman at my job, as a a university professor, they're feminists anywhere, everywhere. No white woman can say another word to me about feminism 
at all that I want to hear in light of this development, unless it is that I was against this and I was on the opposite side of our feminist move to support a man who talked about grabbing women's body parts. Um, uh, you know, so so that you know that's the, the real problem is that but, you know black women you... and will the, will those white feminists uh, confront their family at Thanksgiving uh, coming up this no. holiday? Will they confront them or will they continue to say, I don't like going to see my family, my family's this, my family's that, but they have a good heart? No, you, you, you're always explaining away the racism of the majority of your family because you don't want to confront it. And, and that's what we're dealing with right now. Let, let me ask you, brother. Uh, tell me your name again. Who... Naj. Naj, can I ask real quick? Have you noticed a difference in the disposition of whites in general as you go about your day since uh, this has happened? Have you seen anything that I was talking about earlier about the eye contact and other issues, subtleties? Yes, yes. Well, well I'll, put it, I'll put it on the class level. Uh, professionals have been kind of wishy-washy around me, but mm-hmm. uh, working class, as, as people would call it, have a little more pep in their yes, step. Sir. I would compare it to the delusional black people after 2008 <laughs> who were talking about my president and things of that nature. So I, I, right. I would compare it to that. And, and how right. different is Make America Great Again from Hope and Change? Yeah. These, right. these the hopeful same, promises. The same, the same people who would do whatever they need to do, have five jobs and drive Uber to keep their kids in private schools away from urban black children Right. Uh, going around right. talking about they mourning <laughs> so, so, the the yeah. election of Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we are, I, 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 I don't understand why we right. continue in our analysis of how this happened and our analysis of what could have happened, why we continue to deny that this is about what Donald Trump has said all along, taking their country back. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, the sad deception of that is, number one, it ain't never been their country. Uh, the brother who called previously uh, said this is a white man's country. It never has been. It may have, they might dominate and be, you know, obviously uh, the dominant group, but the reason why they are reaching out and lashing out to support an obviously ungodly, unqualified man is because – I I posted this today. I think that because whites know that within the next 50 to 70 years, they will be a clear minority or at least part of a plurality of minorities and no longer a clear majority, that they have made a choice and a decision out of fear, not out of enlightenment, um, to support the retrenchment and going toward a, an apartheid direction, a white minority rule direction like in South Africa in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, instead of a multicultural Brazil idea that we all are Americans and we all belong to this thing equally. So I think white mm-hmm. Americans have made the decision that with Trump, and this, this is the beginning of it, we are going to see this again and again for the next 50 years. White people are doubling down. They are not going to assimilate into a brown America. They're going to double down, and Donald Trump is the tip of the iceberg. They are sending Giuliani to get you in, in line. They're sending exactly. Joe Arpaio to get you in line. They're sending Sarah Palin. They're sending Chris Christie. They're sending law and order white America John Bolton. John Bolton, Newt Gingrich, call the roll. And we haven't even talked about uh, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States and what this all means for the court. But one of the things, let me just interject here because I'm one of the few 
uh, black people in America that can really talk about and has been intimate with rich, controlling, powerful white Mm. men, old Mm. white men like Mm -hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. I worked as chief of staff for two of them who wow. founded and 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 operated Fortune 100 companies. Mm-hmm. These are irrational, narcissistic mm-hmm. morons who have money mm-hmm. and power. And yep. that's what yep. we have in Donald yep. Trump. You yeah, cannot I've reason been, with I, them. It, it, oh, right. You cannot reason I'm with sorry. them because they rule as though they own the kingdom. Right. And that's right. what we'll it, see. If I could just add one more thing before I go, I know I'm talking a lot, but the the biggest thing to me, I've been passing around that old Baldwin essay, uh, whiteness and other lies, because I, I think that hits on the point you two were just hitting on, like okay. this ideal of whiteness that they've kind of worshipped and bathed themselves in and decided that that's the factor that's going to be able to constantly get them the benefits, constantly give them the advantage, and now they think that advantage is not only natural, but their birthright. So but that's the uh-huh. discussion and that, you know, I, I think has to be had. Right, right. They're being, they're being emboldened, and they put someone in office who, like you just said, this guy is a megalomaniac, it seems, who has this attitude and is unqualified to handle it, so more than likely – He's going to be dictated to by people who've been in foreign policy there yeah. for 40 years, you're, by all of these policy right, people he's bringing in. He, put, he They put it in front of him. He signs it. If it goes well, he'll take credit. If it doesn't, he'll fire somebody or, or embarrass them in some way. Right. So I think we're, we're looking at an irrational, unstable situation to where we're going to see just, you know, things we've never seen before yeah. as far as that press room. I agree. That's right. You're absolutely but, but right. I think it's important also to insert here, because I think, you know, Brother taps onto an important concept, and that is the way, in terms of this notion of whiteness and other lies, people don't realize that because, like, low-order whites, or third-estate whites, so the, the, you know, the, the, the serfs of Europe, the, the Irish of Europe, because they could not be considered Anglo or, you know, uh, top, you know, top, I guess, big, you know, big-blood white folk, as the old people used to say, um, these uh, other whites, these lesser whites, the Jews, the Italians, the Polish, the Eastern Europeans, those who came in 1880s and 1890s, not those who, the Irish came in 1846, but, uh, and the English, the British, they go back to the 17th century, but the more recent ones, those more recent whites that come in the 19th century, 250 years after we, after we were here, they have um, tapped into and created a category called Caucasian. Caucasian is a 20th century word that they invented, whites did, to accommodate those low-order whites who otherwise could not be Anglo, like the WASP, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. An Irish person couldn't be a WASP. They were treated like we were. So, real quickly, the the whites are consolidating a unity around whiteness now that they really have not had to form in the past, because there's a lot of division amongst whites, a, a, a lot of animosity amongst white ethnics that we assume is, doesn't exist. But when we walk in the room, suddenly white people have something in common that they otherwise don't really have in common. And I think we need to be able to exploit that, that in many cases, white folk become white conscious as soon as black folk walk in the room. But otherwise, they have no interest in each other. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, for Man. those of you who are listening, I have posted um, – where you can find um, James Baldwin's On Being White and Other Lies. 
and he wow. leads off in it. Uh, it was written in 1984, and he, I mean, you all know that I am a student, and James Baldwin, I, I'm sitting here now in a James Baldwin sweatshirt, okay, <laughs> and he's smoking a cigarette, because that's my man, <laughs> right. but he leads off saying, the crisis of leadership in the white community is remarkable and terrifying. Yes. Because there is, in fact, no white community. Now, another right. point that he makes in this, and I want people to be real clear, because this is very important. He he, uh, he said he, he he says America became white, and you all watch out because I'm saying this verbatim out of my head. The people who, as they claim, settled the country became white because of the necessity of denying the black presence and justifying the black subjugation. Yes, no sir. community can be based on such a principle, or in other words, no community can be established. This moral erosion has made it quite impossible for those who think of themselves as white in this country to have any moral authority at all privately, are publicly. Now I have to go back and read it because one of the things that he does say from Norway, for example, where there were no Norwegians, became white by slaughtering mm -hmm. the cattle, poisoning the wells, torching the houses, massacring Native Americans, and raping black women. You got to read it. Yeah. Thank you, Nas, for, for, yeah. for bringing no, I really it up. Appreciate it. I'm going to look that up, brother. I'm going to read that as soon as I can. Yes, indeed. Uh, Thank y'all for letting me on. I'm going to hang on and listen. Y'all have a good night, I think, I, think, I, Dennis, I think it's important for the for the the audience to also consider, you know, I, I'm writing a book right now, and it's taking me longer than I want to, but it's called People's Temple, uh, Jim Jones and California Jones, Black yeah. Politics. Mm -hmm. I'm, so mm -hmm. I, I won't go into the details of that book, but just to say that I, I said this on NPR recently, that Donald Trump reminds me, in terms of the way in which he talks about himself and the psycho he created he affected as a social psychology in the entire in the entire public we all were affected by it when he said i'm going to get 95% of the black vote the blacks are going to support me he kept saying ridiculous absurd stuff he would throw it out on help it stuck to the wall and much of it some of it actually worked and i think um what what we need to realize is white people performed a potentially suicidal act in order to preserve their position in this country. And that's why I'm bringing up Jim Jones. I'm saying that Donald Trump is acting like Jim Jones. And, again, I'm a student of Jim Jones in terms of studying his history. I am the, the, you know, probably the best person right now in terms of scholars who are writing on this stuff you know, in the archives here in San Francisco at the California Historical Society where all of the people's temples, uh, uh, history, and documents are. So I'm looking at this big megalomaniac personality that persuades people against their own judgment, against everything they believe in, and he persuades them uh, in the movement for 20 years and then eventually kills everybody November 18, 1978. I'm saying that what white people did the other day, when they voted for this insane man, they were like the followers of Jim Jones. They were willing to kill themselves and their children for this devil in order to save the whole community. They were willing to kill him. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jim Jones did. In fact, there's an article called Saving the Children by Killing Them about Jim Jones and Ronald Reagan. Uh, there's an article called Saving the Children by Killing Them. And I'm saying that what, 
what the white people did the other day and the other handful of non-whites that voted, whites engaged in what I see as a people temple styled collective suicidal mentality in their willingness, knowing that with all of the warnings about Donald Trump and the nuclear codes, all of the sickness of him talking about giving bombs to every country, giving bombs to Japan and giving bombs to Saudi Arabia, uh, nuclear technology to these countries, when people voted for Donald Trump, they knew it could be the end of everything, and they did it anyway. And that is what is really demonic to me about the way people voted on Tuesday. They were willing to let this whole country go to hell like Jim Jones did in order to save white people going out on top. They were willing, even if they, they were willing to bring, to go down on the ship and, and, and to take the ship down itself, even if the ship sinks. They want to go down as the apex group on that sinking ship. And that's the mentality you're dealing with with what white people did in their vote choice for Donald Trump because it had a global impact. And what they did was a global message to us in the U.S. and to non-whites all over the world. Um, the message went out. Um, and the question is, will Donald Trump go down? And when he does go down, will he take, mm -hmm. you know, what, what parts of this country will he take down with him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your book is going to be uh, published when, Dr. Taylor? I would say 2018, maybe 2019 if I, if I can't, you know, get more work Damn. done sooner. But I'm, I'm busy every day, but, but it's taking can, forever because it's so can, deep. Can you send me some drafts? <laughs> I, I will. I, I can send you a little bit, but I can't send much right now, but I can send okay. a little bit. Yeah. No, but but it's really interesting that the last call, and we really thank him for his call, and we thank Jay for his comments. Because what, what Baldwin says in this piece, I, I mean, one of the things that I love about Baldwin is his raw honesty, that he is willing to sit in the midst of his bitterness and rage Yes. to bring truth forth. He says yes. exactly what you just said about Jim Jones, Yes. but this cowardice. This That's necessity right. of justifying a totally false identity, justifying what must be called a genocidal history, yes. has placed everyone now living into the hands of the most ignorant and powerful people the world has ever seen. And how did they get that way? Yes. By deciding they were white, by opting yes. for safety instead of life. Yes, ma'am. Because you just cannot look at this guy or hear him. In any way, I mean, I paid a lot of attention to him because I know him. Right. And you can't tell me that people look through the lenses of their humanity and the issues which face all American people and chose this man. They chose their whiteness. I mean, his and, wife and is a woman that... His wife is a woman that nobody can point their daughters to and say this is a good role model for you. She's she's a low life, sleazy woman, and I'm and I refuse to play these games. And this is why Donald Trump got elected because so much of this left liberal bullcrap has allowed us to you know defer to everything for everything about every little issue. We got to get permission to say a word, but you know this whole notion of slut shaming. You know, we're told now with the Internet, oh, let's not engage in slut-shaming. But this is the same liberal, feminist, she's white a, left. A, she's an empty person. Empty yes, people marry empty per people. Right. 
three times. Right. But this whole, what I'm saying is this whole regime, for example, of this sort of liberalism that says, oh, don't, you know, this sort of feminist liberalism, oh, we yes. shouldn't uh-huh. engage in, uh, in slut-shaming, and yet those same white women that say we shouldn't degrade Melania Trump for plagiarizing before the whole country, for being here illegally a year before we know that, you know, that she's supposed to be here legally, um, of messing around with Donald Trump while he was still married, all of this stuff. And, and yet uh, none of that stuck. But Michelle Obama, of course, had to deal constantly with her arms being out was an offense to the Christians. This woman's got her vagina on the Internet, and it doesn't bother any of them. Pat Robinson's on TV talking about she's got a beautiful body, and it's the work of God. So for me, as a as a black oh, he, man, he said that he said that um, uh, Donald Trump is a deliverance of God to America. Yes, that's how sick this is. And this, but, and, but, and, in that, and in that sense, that's where the the Hitler stuff comes in because it's where the people begin to see this individual above. And this is where the Jones Jim Jones comparisons come in when people start to say things like that. I heard a white woman online mm-hmm. talking about Donald Trump was sent from God. He's from God. The more people say that, they convince the leader that he's God. See, I'm studying, I'm writing an article right now on Father Divine, too. I love Father Divine. I think he was the greatest black man to ever live, you know. But Father Divine, the people kept telling him he was God. So he began to believe it. Jim Jones was told he was God first. Then he began to embrace it and teach it. And now people are beginning to stupidly say that Trump is somehow sent from God to save the white race, if you go back and look at Birth of a Nation, I showed this to my students at Berkeley last semester. We watched Birth of a Nation, and what I did not know is that Birth of a Nation culminates in a scene where everybody, the, the end of the world comes, and we get to heaven. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's, it's frightening, because in heaven, there's nobody there but a bunch of white folks. It's a bunch of white actors in heaven with Jesus afterward, and nobody black makes it or non-white makes it into heaven at the end of the uh, birth of a nation. And, um, you know, the psychology, uh, the social psychology at place with whites right now is a really sick mentality. We're dealing with a, a collective. I wish, I mean, perhaps you can get someone on the show next who does social psychology and can talk about collective psychology, crowd psychology, and the way in which the white group um, effected a, a, a collective um, political outcome uh, by virtue of racial cues that were sent to them by Donald Trump when he's, you know, talking down and talking about law enforcement, talking law and order. But then when he's also at the end, if you remember, a few weeks out, he began to talk more and more about us and telling us what the hell we got to go on. And everybody kept saying he's not talking to black people. He's talking to white people. He's talking to white women to try to get them to vote for him and, and convince the white women that he's not racist by saying to us what the hell you got going on you know, to lose. Well, lo and behold, mm-hmm. apparently it worked. Apparently he said that enough to white people to convince racist whites that they were not being racist and voting for a racist. Um, but this to me is the... The, uh, the, the, the moment where, um, most explicitly, the, as, as Farrakhan would say, you know, uh, their, their skirt is up and their drawers are dirty. They can't hide their racism um, in any way anymore. Well, that's, even, that's, that is so key because they no longer have cover. Right. And David Axelrod, you know, who, who helped 
bring Obama in was on, I think, Bill Marshall arguing with John Legend, defending Donald Trump, saying, I don't think Donald Trump is a racist. And John Legend says it's irrelevant whether he's a racist or not. He just used it for the campaign. Get out of here. And and see, that's that old white liberalism that... White, white liberals have been, and King was clear, Malcolm was clear, Farrakhan was clear, many of the sisters like Ella Baker and um, Fannie Lou Hamer, they were clear that white liberalism has always been an obstacle for black progress. It always has yeah. been, as is black liberalism. And, 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 well, and, and what me, we need is a black consciousness. Let's, 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 let's talk about what we need uh, yes. to, to, to begin to frame how we struggle through a a, a Trump government. I I don't say a Trump administration because they are going to change the very fabric. I mean, people don't recognize that our government has continued to run under the administration of Bush appointees who were made government managers. Now they are going to be joined by people who are appointed by the likes of Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani, Jeff Chase Sessions, um, John Bolton, and they're even talking about this Sheriff Clark from St. Louis being the head of Homeland Security. And this this Negro would come after you. He'd come after me. You yeah. know, um, and this is a part of a part of this is Barack Obama's responsibility, and I know his people don't want to hear it. His his fans don't want to hear it. But with the 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 NDAA, the, the National Defense Administration Act, Barack Obama effectively eliminated the Fourth Amendment in terms of the right of the people to be secure in their purpose, persons, papers, houses, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Barack Obama basically allowed the withering away of Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights under Patriot One and Patriot Two, even though you know Bush initiated these, Obama re- re-upped on them, and then re-upped on the NDAA, and he's after Snowden. It, you, know, he, you know, WikiLeaks has exposed all of this, but I guess what I'm trying to say is whatever Donald Trump will have at his disposal in terms of the tools of the state, the secrecy of it, so much of it was forged by Barack Obama and his administration. None of us complained mm-hmm. when Barack Obama was putting out two million uh, Latino immigrants out the country. But if Trump does it, we'll say it's a racist act. But Obama did it. Obama put more people out of this country than any president combined. You know, all the other presidents combined, I think, uh, is true. And um, we don't hold that. You know, we, we, we're not afraid of that. But if Trump does it with the same tools, it's the devil. And, and so what I'm suggesting that is that Barack Obama you know, really behave like a white president, you know, for all intents and purposes. And he has set the table for Donald Trump with these laws and these, uh, uh, the, uh, the NSA, the spying, the Internet, um, the telephones, all of the stuff that we learned about uh, during the recent investigations around the war, et cetera. Um, all of that stuff is coming back to visit us with a vengeance. Yes. And this is the yes. thing that's haunting is the 80s, the New York 80s that I grew up in are coming to America with a vengeance. The, the, stop, and, uh, the stop and frisk, the, uh, what was it, the, the, the Central Park Five, all of that racial politics, Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, uh, Bensonhurst, the riots, I grew up in all of that. And I'm saying to you that what these devils did in New York, Giuliani and Trump, 
They're bringing it to America. So what America is about to experience is what young people like me in the, who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, are now early 50s, experienced in, in the 1980s, 30 years ago. What do we, uh, before we go on to uh, how this so, so I, I would say we need volunteerism. To go back to your original question in terms of what we need to do, mm -hmm. I think we need, a, we need a mentality of volunteerism, widespread universal volunteerism, meaning black people who have resources and capacities and skills should find what they do best and put those skills and those talents to use to the elevation of black people, particularly our elders and our youth. I think black people who have law degrees need to put those law degrees to use and help people who need help. Even while you're feeding your family, making that money as a lawyer, there are pro bono obligations that people have to the black community independent of their professional uh, pro bono obligations. I think that we need to unleash volunteerism, the spirit of volunteerism, Throughout the black community, the way in which we began to, act after the Million Man March, volunteerism went up throughout the black community, especially amongst black men. We were mobilized, and I think we have to do that. We need more solidarity, solidarity that's based on common interests, not simply on our common blackness, but on our common interests around our blackness. I think we need to think about getting armed. You may not want your, you know, your audience to, talk, to think about that, but, but there's a great tradition of Robert Williams, uh, black Southerners in general, Negroes your grandparents, my grandparents, they were black folk had guns in the South like white folks did. That's right. Uh, my That's my right. colleague Akinyele Umojo uh, just wrote a book called We Will Shoot Back. Another brother wrote a book um, that's called That Nonviolence Will Get You Killed that show that black armed people is how the civil rights movement was able to preach morals to white people because other black folk had guns aimed at their asses, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. uh, let me tell you a little story. Brandy Norwood, Brandy, who is, you know, Moesha, Brandy, Ray J, the Kim Kardashian. I know all of those folks from back in the 80s and uh, 90s in, um, in Los Angeles. We used to go to the same church. Their father, uh, Sonia Norwood, um, Ray, Ray J's uh, grandmother and, and, I mean, Ray J's mother and Brandy's mother, her, their father was a man named uh, Brother Bates, uh, Mr. Bates. I can't remember his first name anymore. Um, he owned a bus company in Macomb, Mississippi in the 1960s, and he loaned his own bus. This is Brandy and Ray J's granddaddy owned his own bus company in Macomb, Mississippi. Where's Brandy from? Google her. Macomb. Their grandfather owned his own black bus company and loaned it out to the Civil Rights Movement in 1964 when Stokely and those students went down there to, um, to, uh, to register their local blacks in Mississippi. And... They told me of an incident, uh, Sonia's uh, mother, the, the, the Brandy and Ray J's grandmother, explained that the white sheriff there tried to hold back their license from their bus company on one occasion, and Sonia's mother, who's now gone, she died about two years ago, went down to the sheriff's office with her gun and aimed and pointed at him and said, give me my husband's license right now. That white man bent over, opened that Rolodex, and handed that black woman her husband's license, and he continued to support the civil rights movement with his buses. That's Brandy mm -hmm. and Ray J's mm -hmm. granddaddy. And I'm saying we need to get armed. These people ain't playing with us. Every time an incident happens, every time Baltimore or Ferguson or L.A. blows up, white people go out and buy hundreds of thousands of guns. And black people are still sitting around waiting, uh, relying on white people's uh, 
dec- uh, you know, sensibilities around the common ground or the common good or the beloved community that they're not trying to experience. So I think black people who are civil, uh, uh, you know, civil in terms of law-abiding citizens need to get trained to get armed, we need to arm our families now and as much as we possibly can immediately. These white people are not playing with us, and they're coming. And we still sit yeah, around they, thinking they the government's going to take care of us. No, the government's a part of killing us. And, and, and we haven't learned that lesson well enough. We, have, we don't synthesize it in our daily lives. And one of the things, like, we're all <clears throat> uh, celebrating that hundreds of people are out in the street um, protesting the election right. of of Donald Trump. Right. But none of us really know who those people are and what their point is other right. than just being outraged. Right. And what we need to do, for instance, the um, group, uh, the group, the, the Civil Liberties Group, published uh-huh. – a letter today the ACLU? to Donald Trump saying, right. pardon me, it, pardon saying me. that if you are not in line, we're coming for you. That's right. Our organizations have done nothing other than right. lament the loss of this election by Hillary Clinton. That's history. But see, Even this, this she is going to create. Understands that's history. That's right. And Amarosa recently said publicly that he has a long memory and he has an enemies list and he is going to check his enemies list. Um, and most, but, uh, most powerful white men do. That's right. And but the beauty about this, they operate from their feelings. <laughs> yes, but the beauty about this is they can't control the whole thing and they can't control the, un- <laughs> uh, the unanticipated outcomes and they can't control the the, the total outcome and. You know, yes, the police state and, the, you know, the, the security state is real, but it's also true that these are revolutionary conditions that are being set up. And Donald Trump is such a revolting individual. This is like a King Henry VIII kind of thing, you know, where people mm-hmm. just cannot accept this man. And so as much as most Americans are slavish and will step in line and be obedient, especially whites, um, I think there's enough of a resentment and animosity toward the, this despicable human being that has manipulated this uh, electoral process uh, with racism in a way that um, will backfire. I, 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 I'm actually – there's something about the way I feel right now that is actually thinking this is all going to backfire on white people and going to backfire on Donald Trump, and they are going to resent, regret it. And, and I pray that, that we don't suffer uh, – when, when, when the stuff hits the fan, but I definitely think that white Americans that voted for Donald Trump are going to be embarrassed and humiliated at some point. Um, Michael Moore is already saying that he doesn't think he's going to finish his first term. And, yeah, uh, the one that's, professor- a, that's an interesting thing. Um, I think that Donald Trump has underestimated what it means to be president because yes, I don't ma'am. think uh, I, I don't think that he ever really was really interested. I think that this was the shot from the bow of being publicly humiliated by Barack Obama at the uh, press, uh, White House press correspondence dinner years right. ago. Right. And he got into this and then 
figured out this is fun and I might be able to do something, especially after he bumped off all of those nine other candidates, uh, Republican uh, candidates. So I, I think he underestimates what this will mean and that his penchant toward being controlling and the final authority is going to get him into a lot of trouble. Yes, yes. And we should be, we should be ready for that. And there's so uh, much that, I mean, in terms of this, this, this case, um, not, the, the young lady apparently, the 13-year-old apparently, uh, you know, closed her case uh, in terms of pursuing the rape uh, charges. But there, there's the Judge Curiel case coming up soon with the uh, Trump University. Uh, he's not immune to any of this stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that will lead to his destruction because he's a sick individual. And like you said, he's so self-absorbed that, um, instead of trusting the people around him to carry out policy, he'll try to actually do it himself. And I think he'll mm-hmm. eventually uh, bust his head up against the wall, as they say. Mm-hmm. Now, but, when you talk about when you talk about going forward and looking at uh, how our community is going to reframe, reinvent our own struggle, one of the things that occurs to me is that. We have to begin to look around us where we live, where we sleep, and where our children go to school. Yes. And decide that we, you know, you know that old song. It used to be a theme for this when I was on terrestrial radio. It used to be like a theme. Ain't no stopping us now. Yes. Yes. That we have to get into that mindset. That's that right. at the local level. Remember that. Remember that. Remember, remember how yeah. that felt when that song came out in every black community throughout America, like 81, 82, 83? Everybody was singing it. Black women in the neighborhoods were That's setting right. up these local community organizations. We have one called UPADA, the United Parents Against Drug Abuse. And that's really where I, got, I cut my teeth politically was with a bunch of black mothers in the projects, including my own, protesting the, the emergence of crack in our neighborhood. And we called ourselves United Parents Against Drug Abuse. And our theme song was Ain't No Stopping Us Now. So every summer, I mean, every... Every uh, Sunday, I mean, every Saturday throughout these hot New York summers, we would go out and just start singing, ain't no stopping us now. And, and of course, the line that says, we're leaving the negative people way behind just reminded us, we just got through, they killed King, they killed Malcolm, they done, you know, we've had these setbacks, but we're still standing, so let's just turn around and move forward as a people toward the bright future, because there ain't no stopping us now. And that's what we were doing. That was the attitude we had, and then they dropped crack in the middle of it. Yeah. Because we were singing good times, remember Sheik, good times, these are, we were singing good times, we were having a great time, even in the hood. Uh, Sugar Hill Gang, they don't come with no hardcore rap. They come talking about hotel, motel, holiday in, and, 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 you know, they were rapping to good time because black people yeah. had affected a mentality where we said, all right, we're done with this foolishness. We're going to turn and try to develop ourselves as a people. And then as soon as we begin that at the local level, um, you know, this is where the infiltration of crack uh, cocaine uh, right. comes in, into play. <laughs> Because one of the things that we have to, and Irami in the clip that I played um, uh, talks about it, and that is we have to learn the mechanisms and the procedures by which we are governed. And once we learn those, and that's what uh, uh, Ella Baker was so good about, because she studied how things get, get done 
and we have to do that at the local level because That's right. and and turn the tables because what they have done in the last eight in the last eight years is figured out how to circumvent uh, um, federal law. And That's now right. we've got to figure out how, at the local level, at the state level, how to circumvent federal law. Because right. they are, because you are absolutely right, they are coming for us. That's right. And, and this is why you see in New York uh, you have Mayor, I mean you have the Governor, um, uh, uh, what's his name, um, Cuomo, uh, and here in California, Jerry Brown uh, said months and months ago that if Donald Trump wins, we will build a wall around California. You know, and of course he's just talking, but the idea was, and, and the state legislature here in California released a paper yesterday, uh, uh-huh. a letter yesterday, basically saying we are, will be a safe haven for people of color if this if it comes down to it. Exactly. And New York said the same exactly. thing. But it's sick you know, that the and, state and of New York and the state of California are telling us that we might have to seek refuge. We, we we have to start thinking about it in the minutia. One of the things that comes to mind immediately is how we will continue to enforce the laws which govern landlords, which right. govern house sales, which govern police. That's right. Which govern the uh, educational agendas in our community. But, but see, I think this is what we we need we need we need high profile people to encourage these activities. Killer Mike is doing his best, but nobody knew Killer Mike before outside of the hip hop you know circles and marginal right. ones at that before Bernie's uh, campaign. He's doing a great job. Nina Simone is doing her thing, but again, she's a Bernie uh, supporter and she's largely o- Ohio sister that nobody knows out here. These older heads, you know, like Jesse and Al, they they don't have the uh, audience anymore. And Black Lives Matter is not it because Black Lives Matter is more of a lesbian, uh, LGBT, transgender uh, movement against mm-hmm. black people um, mm-hmm. as much as it is a movement for black people. And most black people don't know that about uh, Black Lives Matter, that it is uh, a gender uh, movement uh, that pretends or at least trades on race when it's convenient uh, of, of a black male victim. But if you check Black Lives Matter out in its operations and its, uh, its, its, its presentation, it is not down with the black church. It's not down with black culture. It's not down with black heterosexuality. Right. Um, and, and that's and, why know, it and, won't and, last. And I didn't mention the media, but if people really want to begin to have a in-depth analysis of what has happened to the media, all you have to do is turn back and to see that this started many, many months ago when Melissa uh, Harris Perry, who was not a Hillary person, was dismantled from MSNBC as a commentator. And I, you know, I... With with her, I took what I could use and left the rest. But it began to bring in people who would toe the party, party right. line on Hillary Clinton. That's right. See, because I think for me, true. if 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 I could have the ear of the Black Lives Matter uh, leaders, and these sisters are right here in Oakland, we just have never met each other, uh, and we do, you know, we're here doing the same stuff. I just haven't met Alicia Garza and the others, but. If, if I could, you know, 
swing a magic wand for Black Lives Matter, I would say to them, stop marching, stop reacting to each incident, build relationships in existing local communities, because they are the people. In other words, we're looking for a cohort of representative individuals. I don't want to call them leaders. But I'm saying we got them. They're Black Lives Matter, but their focus is on sexuality and gender and occasionally race or conveniently race. Um, and they're trying to do more about breaking through within the black community and making our preachers and our churches accept, you know, uh, sexuality uh, questions and issues um, as much as they are about knocking down racial barriers. But it would, it would be ideal if we could have a group of um, young people that took their energy and we covered black civil society. And what I mean by that is do what the Panthers did in terms of the programs that blessed black communities. If you want to use George Soros, use George Soros' money to mobilize food programs, exa- you know, disease testing, um, tutoring programs. Black civil society simply means wake up that part of the black world that the government would normally take care of. But we'll do it ourselves and without the government's taxes. So black civil society would be the Boys and Girls Club. It would be the churches. It would be, um, uh, you know, it would be PAL, like, you know, police athletic Mm -hmm. league participation Mm -hmm. in track and in basketball with our children and in other sports. I I volunteer for my sons, uh, all black male, I mean, all black school in West Oakland where the Panthers got started. There's a, a, a Kip Bridge Academy over there. I volunteer. Many black parents volunteer. Just to be in the part in the in the in the in the in the yard and in the classrooms with our children, and many black families are doing this. Um, yes, and yes. this is what we need. We need a black renaissance that comes from us, from below, not from white people or Harvard-educated black folk. We need a a, a black a black renaissance from that's a, turning our that's, backs on that's, white society. I think we need to turn our backs. I've said this on Carl Nelson's show repeatedly. We need to turn our backs on the white society to the extent that we can. We can't completely eradicate ourselves from them. I work at a white institution. You know, we're, we're all involved in this society and tied to it in some way. But we can have a, a Jewish mentality about it or an Indian mentality about it or a Chinese mentality about it. And all three of those groups I just mentioned, the Jews, the Chinese, and other ethnic groups, Indians, uh, here in the Bay Area and in America, they participate in capitalism. They participate in the marketplace. They engage in wealth acquisition. They send their kids to the mainstream schools. But on Friday, the Jews ain't got nothing to do with, uh, with, with Gentiles until Sunday, Monday, practically. And Indians, those people close ranks and build institutions and build community, and then they integrate from a standpoint of strength. I don't want us to integrate at all, but they do it from a standpoint of strength, which is what Stokely Carmichael and Charles Hamilton said in Black Power, close ranks. How come? You know, black people in this country have been disenfranchised by government, not by charities. So when you're disenfranchised by government, it's the job of government to make you whole. The government gave us redlining. The government gave us Jim Crow and all these other things. The government allowed allowed white people, allowed white race in the South called Dixiecrats to systematically keep us out of federal programs. So it's your job to put it back in there. And a few years of affirmative action doesn't do that. So 
if this is all, and I told people early on that this is what the first black president is giving us. This is what he's signaling. And if we don't do something soon, we're screwed. So we didn't do anything soon. We're screwed. You shouted me down. You elevated up people who were like, yeah, he's my man. That's my president. And so that's what you get. You have this whole naive community of black people who are like not politically mature, you know, who have been just sort of brought into mainstream news to kind of cheer for the president and talk about how bad Republicans are. And at the end of the day, you may have a psychological bump. You may feel psychologically better because that's what you did, but we have nothing for it. A psychological feel-good moment, a symbolic moment gives us nothing. It doesn't feed you. It doesn't give you a job. It doesn't give you political power. And if there's any lesson that we can learn from this, this what we're in right now is, is to stop being so symbolic and focus on things that actually matter like policy. And now it's a winner. 